Well, this morning we are um, concluding our series on the Evergreen Mission. Love, win, grow. And today we're focusing on the word go. And I remember one time uh, when a kid in the Sunday school class I was talking to said, hey, do you know that two-thirds of God's name is go? I was like, wow. <laughs> that is true. So that's not, that's not original for me. But I thought I'd share that with you as we talk today about a call to go, becoming becoming a part of God's big story. You know, in my studies of anthropology, we've looked at primitive cultures and modern cultures, past and present. And in every culture, there's always a search for significance of purpose and meaning of mission. Whether it's life beyond life or the purpose of our lives, we look for things to give us meaning. And sometimes it's just improve the lot in life that we have. Um, some will try a get-rich-quick uh, scheme to try to make more money and improve their lives. Others will try to find or create the magic pill to help us lose weight quicker than exercise and diet, which has not worked for me. Uh, others will try to you know, get a way to find perspective. Um, the army says, be all that you can be by joining the army. And I met a guy... Uh, in college one time who said, I'm done. I, I, I don't have discipline. I need to go to a place where I can be a part of mission and I'll be helped to find my purpose. And so we have different ways that we go about doing that. And uh, I found this online that I had heard of all back. It's a, a wanted poster for the Pony Express. Back in 1860, if you can read it, it says, Pony Express, go from St. Joseph, Missouri to California in 10 days or less. Some of you can't do it in 60 days with a car. Here's the call. Wanted. Young, skinny, wiry fellows. Not over 18. Must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. <laughs> Orphans preferred. <laughs> Wages $25 per week. So if you have no family, we encourage you to come and join us. Because you may not live through this experience. This call drew a lot of response. Young men saying, I'll, I'll do that. Part for the adventure, partly maybe the pay, part to say, I'm a good skilled writer. I can outlive any danger. Uh, some guy's like, no one wants me. I'm orphaned, so maybe I should try this. <laughs> but there was a phenomenal response. Despite the fact that it was great risk, it was a new territory going from St. Louis, Missouri to California. For the prospect of earning $25 per week, which was probably pretty good then, to take mail in segments across the country. Problem was, it wasn't really well thought out and well funded. This began in, I think, April 1860, and it lasted for 18 months, and then it went under. Uh, They didn't have enough horses, so some guys, instead of riding 200 miles a day, would take a mule and go 20 miles one day. Uh, So it kind of shortened the 10-day period into longer periods of time. But what it, the doom was the fact that they had completed the transit, transcontinental telegraph. So the need of paying $5 an ounce for a piece of mail that was important to go by horse was now circumvented by the fact that the telegraph came through. So you can imagine there may have been many, many men who were disillusioned, like they signed up for promise, this calling to do this great thing. And after a while, it fell apart because they didn't have the right horses or not enough. They didn't go far enough. Uh, the pay wasn't secured. And 18 months later, this went defunct and Uh, The mission failed, partly of business practice and part for resources. Well, today we're going to look at a story about how discovering what our mission life is 
And uh, this mission is, is fail-proof and has no expiration date. How many of you are the ones that really look at the expiration date on milk cartons? Because yours seems to go faster than the expiration date on, on things. Yeah. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 12, but the little background of the story, Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, the story of this amazing, how God intersects with the world, creates the world, man and woman, foliage, animals, the heavens, and we see Adam and Eve fall and disobey God, and there's a consequence. As brokenness comes into our world, and things begin to die, spiral. Relations between them suffer. They're caused to work. They're separated from God, and it, and it brings about a lot of evil and people living for themselves. The point where in Noah's time, God says, I'm sorry, I even made mankind. I have to start over. There's one family I could trust that believes in me, Noah and his family. I'll spare them, but the rest we're going to wipe out and start over. After his story, there is his sons, and they begin to scatter around the earth. And there, there's lineages and genealogies of their descendants until we get to chapter 12. So the first 11 chapters are uh, a pretty bad start, and then a lot of genealogies and lineages of people who lived. And then comes the man we're going to talk about today. Um, his name is Abram. And his legacy that begins in chapter 12 is a story of influence that continues throughout the rest of the Bible and even to today. We have heard of him, and uh, we're going to read his story and how God encounters him in Genesis chapter 12. I'll just let you follow along. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken to his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp besides the Oak of Moreh. It was kind of a not a Statue of Liberty, but a kind of marked place where people knew where that area was. So a simple story. There's two characters. There's God, who says the Lord, and there's Abram. And what do we know about Abram? We don't know much about this, this guy at this point, but we know historically, and looking at other places in the scripture, that Abram was from Ur, the city on the west end of the, the Euphrates River, which is now modern-day Iraq, uh, with Chaldean people. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, it says that his father, Terah, worshipped many idols. So there's a pagan family living in Ur. And Ur was known historically as a place where they had the Zergarot, uh, a structure that was built to honor uh, Nana, the moon goddess. And they would sacrifice to this moon goddess for protection. So some people had personal gods in in their household. There was community, but the main one was this moon god. And it would have been common for... Abram to be part of the worship of that. So we don't know how God chose or where this happened, but here's Abram, most likely a pagan, worshiping many gods that God encounters and says, Europe, I want to talk to you. And so you have this, this conversation about 2000 BC. So I want to share a few observations of, of what God's encounter with Abram, and there's some ties that we can learn about our lives through this encounter. First thing is this. Abram was willing to take the call. How many of you are those that don't like to take the call? Someone answers back in the day when you hit the landline, you're like, 
dumb unavailable. I'll call back later. And like, so-and-so is not available right now. Can I take a message? And then you have the burden of trying to follow up a good time because you don't really want to talk to the person and uh, follow up with his business or personal. Well, here Abram takes the call. How, whether God spoke audibly or, or through his heart, we don't know, but it was enough to know that Abram encountered God. And it says he was willing to take the call. The Lord had said to Abram, A, it was a call from God, a God who was personal. In pagan cultures, people would create gods that they would assign a name or value or purpose and sacrifice in hopes of procuring some kind of benefit that would help them. Now, now this, this moon goddess was supposed to be a protector, whether it was from disease or famine or uh, hardships through to, to uh, crops or from enemies, we don't know. And, here, and so you were always trying to appease this God. And here, God of the universe, who made, created the whole world, comes to Abram and says, I am the Lord, the God of creation. And not only that, but I know your name, Abram. I made you. I know I'll meet with you. There probably has been no God that would have ever spoken or cared to come down to his people. And so you have this pagan man encountering a God who knows his name, and he gets his attention. And he begins to introduce this plan. He says, I want to redirect you from a self-centered life of worship to other gods to a God-centered life with a mission. And he begins to unveil the plan and the cost of what that would be like. Away from self-centeredness into a God-centered life. It was a few years ago, I was up in, we lived in Everett, my wife and I, and Katrina, our daughter, who was two years old, I remember a friend had come over for a meal and we were hanging out and he was kind of a shuckster and he was playing with Katrina and um, I saw him motioning, but I didn't hear it at first, but he said, here you go. Give back to you. Say, say the word mine. Mine. All you parents know what I'm feeling at the moment. I'm like, what do you mean mine? He says, this is yours, but this is, say mine. And he was laughing. And she picked it up, this one syllable word, very, very quickly. And her natural tendency towards this was already on its path. But now she could verbalize it and state it specifically, mine. I said, oh, I was furious. I said, you don't have kids yet. But I pray as God has blessed me with you, maybe he blessed you as well. And I can honestly say that God was faithful. (laughs) The reality is none of us, there's no culture, you study history, that celebrates selfishness. We may may think it's cute in kids for a while, but honestly, it is not a trait. C.S. Lewis talks about mere Christianity, certain principles that extend throughout cultures of time that are revelations of who God is, and selfishness is not one of them. We sometimes use it to protect ourselves, like I'm going to protect myself from others. And God says, no, to walk with me, you need to deny yourself because my story for you is bigger than yours. And you may think you know, but you don't. And let me rescue from you from that. So firstly, he was willing to take the call from a personal God with a personal attention to him who knew his name. Secondly, he was willing to leave behind his smaller story. Have you ever seen kids imagine things and their view is so creative, but it's so limiting. Like, oh, if you could only see what I see in you, a bigger perspective. And you imagine a God who created the world comes to Abraham and goes, oh, do I have plans for you? I know life is good for you. You're part of a wealthy family. You're establishing a community. But as I look at you, I've got plans for you that are part of a big story. He said, the cost is this. You need to leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go 
to a land I will show you. That's, how many of you love to move? You just love packing up, like getting the truck ready, finding the drawer of all the miscellaneous things and don't know where to put in a box to find at a later time. I've moved a number of times, and my wife moves even more, and I don't like to move. I remember a time when we were, I was in transition between jobs, and I found myself unemployed and uh, without work, and I said, I'll move anywhere. God, come through. And the securities that I had before were not there anymore. And, and, and God addresses that in Abram. He says this. He says, he left his culture and his comfort zone. Now, I met some of you. You were born and raised in Hillsboro. And uh, all of you should have been vied for mayor of the town at one point because of your longstanding history. And others have come through from the area through intel or work or situations in life that you find yourself here. And you know what the cost is to leave family and friends behind, to go to a place and to try to reconnect. And that's one of the blessings of having a community like this where we, people can get together for those who have been here a long time and those who are new can, can, can be encouraged to pursue faith in community. And God says, you need to leave your family. I don't know if it was because of his pagan lifestyle that the culture was that he could never leave or maybe the wish, mission was so great that God says, you have to go. What I have for you is beyond where you're at. And he left. It was uh, in December, we had a, a love more Posada we did a Spanish service in Christmas time, and one of the, one of the lady responded to the gospel out of a few, and she came to me afterwards, and she said, "Will you pray for me?" And she was in tears. And I said, "Sure. What's what's the need?" She said, I, "I just gave my life to Christ, but I know when I tell my mom back in Mexico, she may not talk to me again because I'm leaving the traditional ways her family has practiced faith." I said, "And I'm trying to be courageous. Well, can you just tell her that you're just following Jesus?" That you love God, but it's worth it to me. I'm willing to do that. Can you pray for my strength? And I realize it's sober. In American culture, we're very independent. We can do what we want. But in a lot of other places, there's tremendous social cost, political cost, family cost for people who choose to follow Christ. And like this gal, she said, it's worth it to me. I found something. He is my deliverer. He's my restorer. But I've got a hard road with my family. Will you pray for me? And I said, sure, I will. And she's been faithful. She's growing in her faith. But she recognized that the faith of her family was different where God was taking her. And she had to count the cost that it may not be the same again. Second thing, he says, he's got to leave his security. It wasn't that he just left the family heritage of an incredibly wealthy background because he was wealthy and he had some of those things to take with him. But he was no part, longer part of the heritage of financial resources, being from a wealthy family. But more important than that is that his wealth was no longer for securing the well-being of just him and his family. But God was going to say, will you use that as a resource that I can point to you in a direction to use for my purposes? That it won't be just security for you, but it will be an asset that I will use. There was a missionary that we visited last year with a medical team in Cambodia. And Ted Olbert, the missionary, was... A pastor, and he had a huge hog farm in Illinois, and he loved farming, and he loved pastoring. And I think around 50 years old, God called him, spoke to him, and said, get up and go to Cambodia. I need you. He's like, I'm 50. I've got grandkids. God said, get up and go. Leave your family. Sell your business. Find another pastor for your church and go to Cambodia. He struggled at the beginning to find a church, didn't know the language very well. And after a while, some orphans were left at his door by a Buddhist monk that says, your God 
I know his compassion will take care of him. We don't care for these kids. You do. Today, there's, there's over 3,000 orphans that know Jesus that are in church orphan homes because this guy took the call and said, God, I'll go. It'll cost me. I mean, I see my grandkids as much. But if you're putting that call in my heart, I will go. And there's a personal cost, sacrifice that he had to pay. And lastly, he had to leave his idols. Idols are not just the figurines that we would imagine in that time period of little gods or animals or things that we would imagine, but much more subtle in our culture. The things like addiction that we hold on to that's part of our personality or greed, this pursuit of wealth or accumulating things that give us some kind of status or, or the way we practice our sexuality. That's who I am. Or possessions of the toys and things that we really enjoy. When any of those things become, take the place of God and become so centered in our life that God is a second thing, that's an idol. And God says, that's got to go. You got to lay that aside. What I have for you requires that you leave the baggage behind. In fact, to God, nothing in our lives is untouchable because the reality is we have to give it all because he gave it all. We absolutely surrender everything and he has access to all. Third, he was invited to play a part in God's big story by going. Notice it says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Interesting, the context of the focus is God. It's not, I will make you famous. I will make you great. The call is, I will do this. I will make you. I will bless you. I will establish you. So it's not our role that's important. It's who he is. And in banking, when I was there uh, in Los Angeles, you had the savings alone and you had regular financial institutions. And people would come to us and say, we want to make sure that you guys are FDIC insured. Translation, we want to know that the government will back us up for at least $100,000 of our deposit if something goes wrong. And God says, I'll back you up. This is my plan. This is more than FDIC. This is God saying, I'm going with you. Will you follow? So the call is to go. And it requires an immediate response of a surrendered life. Then he says, I will bless you. Now, this word bless is always kind of tricky. We kind of assign meaning to it. Like, if, I, if my kids didn't fight today, they're like, oh, God, what a blessing. They were good today. <laughs> or my headache's gone. Oh, God, thank you. You blessed me today. But this word blessing is much more than that. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, he goes, you're going to get me. I'm going to have a relationship with you. And that is the greatest blessing that you will ever have. You were lost, and I found you, and now I am with you. You get all of me. And he says, when I'm blessed, you're blessed. The blessing means you're blessed to have me, so you can give me away to someone else who doesn't know you, doesn't know me. Now, there's other things that we trickle down that God brings blessing to our life as we walk in obedience. Our choices are wiser. They're aligned with him. And things, I had a friend who had scoliosis and had a surgery uh, in grade school that cracked her spine. And when her spine was fixed, everything began to work better. Her walking, her posture, by being in right alignment. When God says, I will bless you, to me, blessing means you get me, a relationship that's live and vibrant, salvation. It talks about God's favor. And he says, I will make you famous. Interesting, because I talked to my daughter, she goes, you know, when you worked in banking, did you know famous people? 
and I can give some names that you probably didn't know and some that were. I said, what difference does it make if they are famous or not? As I've discovered, people that have more wealth and are well-to-do just have much more expensive problems they have to solve. <laughs> There's a few more zeros after the things they have to pay for. And I'm trying to teach my daughters that fame is not what we're after, at least not in that regard. You know, people get famous and they spend the rest of their life trying to push away attention because their life is under a microscope. Abram was like this. God made it famous, but he made mistakes along the way. In fact, end of chapter 12, we see that he goes to Egypt and he's got a hot wife who's beautiful that he's worried that someone's going to take. So when he gets there, he said, this is my sister. And they take her and bring her up to the Pharaoh and uh, he wants to, to be with her. And in the middle of the night, God speaks to him and says, don't you dare touch this woman or you're done. What happens the next day? This guy comes to Abram and says, why did you lie to me? Your God spoke to me in a dream and said, don't you dare lay a hand on her. And despite his lie, God says, I'm going to protect you. You trusted in me, but you, you kind of got weak in a moment, not knowing what to do. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll curse those who curse you, and I'll bless those who bless you. I got you. And we know the story that later on, he didn't have a son, and he went to great extents to do things his own way. He paid the consequences of that. But it didn't change the fact that God said, I, I'm going to bless you because you trusted me, even though you're weak. I don't know, that's encouragement for me that I can blow it. I can make mistakes and wonder, but if my trust is in God, I'll fall forward. God says, I will bless you if you walk with me. What's interesting about Abram is that he didn't really do much. He didn't build anything. He just had a story of he tried to worship God wherever he went and not subscribe to the pagan gods and had a contentious marriage. It was... um, Needing work. But we, we look back at that time period and we don't see the names of anyone that can come to our mind that built any big structures. That were rulers of the time. People who made a great name for themselves. We don't remember them. Unless you're a historian to think back. Anyone who tried to make a great name for themselves, we don't remember. But what do we do? We know Abraham. In fact, later in the Old Testament, we, we hear God say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The lineage. And Muslims revere Abraham. Jews revere Abraham in the Old Testament. Christians, we hear a story. God picks a man and says, you're going to be known for a long time because I am going to work through your life. And we still remember today. Our faith came from Abraham. His offspring and lineage went through David and eventually to the birth of Jesus, who was the Messiah and Savior. Famous. After Jesus died and rose again, the Bible teaches that now we are descendants of Abraham if we, by faith, put our faith in God. We're spiritual descendants of Abraham. 4,000 years later, you will be a blessing to others, an influence that reaches beyond the well-being of our family. God says, look big. Fourthly, the big story is not just about Abraham. It includes everyone. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Abram probably thought it was a good idea. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. That's a pretty good deal. I don't know all the cost, but I'll sign up for that. We talk about God's favor is to be shared. He was obedient. It was a few years ago when I was living in New York, upstate New York. I was invited by a friend who ran a chapter of Full Gospel of Business and Meaning. And he invited me to go do a Bible study 
uh, for him at, at uh, Attica State Prison in upstate New York. Maximum security, uh, a very dark, scary place. And he'd asked me a number of times, and at the last time I, I couldn't, I had to take the call. And uh, I had nothing better to do that Saturday night. And so I went, and I was scared and nervous. I'd been to many places in other countries I'd go to, but the state penitentiary was not my first choice. But I went, and he was, because I've done this many times, but it could be fine, and seeing the level of security there. We got walked to this, this room. There was about 30 guys. Uh, most of them were believers. There were a few that it looked like they had asked to come to the study so they can get out of their cell for a while, for a few extra hours. They were curious of faith. We began to worship God, and these, these prisoners were just hands in the air, so surrendered that I felt convicted by their passion and love for Christ. And one guy got up and spoke. He goes, let me tell you my testimony. And he goes, first of all, thank you men for coming to jail because no one really comes to visit us. We're ostracized and seen as the slime of society. And we're paying for the cost of what we did. He said, but I found faith here in jail. And I realized that I'm forgiven. Society may not forgive me for what I've done. And I'm paying what I deserve. But I discovered Christ in here. And he loves me. And I have a purpose for my life. He goes, I am more free now than I ever was when I walked free outside this prison. Because I know God loves me. And I'm going to spend the rest of my days telling everyone in here how great God is, that they can be forgiven too. And I felt so convicted. I walked to my car and I felt like Jesus said, thank you for visiting me. That's where I was. You came and saw me. In fact, there's scriptures to talk about that in Matthew 25. So when you were in prison, I, I came and visited you. I said, Lord, I, I want to have your heart for people, not just on the exterior, not because they didn't work hard or they made some mistakes, but I'm blessed to be a blessing. And this guy that I met, he goes, I, I've been blessed with so much that we would not look at and say he was blessed. He's paying consequence, but he goes, I'm free after all the years of anger and abuse and violence. And I, he said, if someone would have told me before I got in here about Jesus, what my life would be like. But at least I'm free right now. It cost me an afternoon, which I thought was too much of a price to pay. But I realized I was blessed by going and seeing Jesus in the state penitentiary with these men that are so full of joy. They were an example to me of how I can grow in expressing my heart and worship to Jesus. The call has to be passed down. The blessing of God is channeled through his people. We see it throughout the Old Testament and into the New where David is about to, is encountering Goliath, the famous story of this giant of a beast, Goliath, taunting the Israelites, and they're in fear. God's people are in fear of this giant in the army. And David, who's a shepherd who had wrestled lions and killed bears, says, that ticks me off that he's defying God. I gotta do something about this. And he's young, and they push him aside. He goes, no, I need to do this. And he picks up his sling. And it's interesting what he says. Sometimes we forget. He says, Goliath, I'm gonna kill you today. So that the nations of the world will know the God of Israel is the one true God. It's not because Israel's weak and we need protection. It's not because you're evil, but God wants to use me and us to show that the God of Israel is the one true God and there's no one like him. We later see in Daniel, a man who's, who's arrested for, for praying three times a day when the laws were said, you cannot pray to this God, you must pray to Baal and, these other, and, and worship the king. He says, I can't. I have a higher calling. So he's arrested and set up to be thrown in jail and he is later judged to be thrown in the lion's den. 
to be tortured and, and killed. And the next day, King Darius goes and sees him. He says, Did your God help you? And he says, Oh, he said an angel last night. He shut the mouth of the lions. We're good. If you read what next, it says, King Darius said, Everyone worship the God of Daniel. That's legitimate. That is a real God. Not these statues we put up. And it was not about Daniel and how great he was. It was about how great his God was. We see throughout the New Testament, Jesus does these miracles to say, look how God is. And the religious people are the ones he goes after the most. And as the people who are broken say, I need a God, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Show how great your blessing is. The fact that you know God means you got something to give. It's interesting, in Matthew 25, it talks about this. We looked at Genesis 12, which is the first time we have this missionary call that God says for all his people. In Matthew 25, we look back at a picture that Jesus Christ from heaven. It says he's sitting on a throne, and he gathers people together, and he separates them like sheep and the goats. Sheep are followers. Goats are independent. He said the sheep will be at his right hand and the goats on his left. And he says this. The king will say, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom that God prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And he says, now you're blessed. And it seemed like this rhetorical response. These, the sheep said, wait a second. We, that wasn't us. We didn't do that. We didn't see you there. Jesus says, when you've done it to the least people in your society, you did it to me. You didn't know you were doing it for me. You didn't know you were caring for that person. That was actually me. And they were surprised. Wow, we get blessed for doing that? For helping people? Because you're blessed to be a blessing to give away, to have God's heart, that if you were blessed and touched in a way that God transformed you, it's only natural that if we, have, we fall in love with Jesus that we're going to act like him by caring. And we may do it in ways we don't even realize. And then he speaks harshly to the goats. He says, you didn't do that. You, you kept everything to yourself. And they said, well, where, we didn't see you. He says, when you didn't take care of those people, when you hear for help for the poor, you neglected me. Jesus' point is those those who follow me will naturally have my heart. It's not a trying to do better. It's letting the blessing of our lives that God has given us relationship, let it come out and align ourselves with him. Abraham made mistakes. He lied. He had an illegitimate child. But he always was believing that God would answer. He followed him because he chose to go. A few questions as we close. How have you encountered God before? What's the blessing of how God has met you, encountered you? Can you recall it? Do you recognize what it meant to you? Secondly, in looking at the cost, maybe this morning God will speak to you and say, is there something that God is asking you to surrender of your culture, whether to move geographically or just to move in your heart? Of your security, your wealth, what you hold onto for identity? Or an idol, something that is overgrown your heart does not allow Jesus to be first thirdly what do you think about God choosing you to represent others I was at Starbucks this morning the barista 
that my daughter and I see every Sunday. She's like, oh, what's going on at church today? And I, said, I said, well, I'm speaking on this topic. And she said, oh, I'd love to do stuff, but I'm unworthy. I don't feel like I can. I said, interesting, because God says, I will. It's not about how you feel. It's not about how worthy you think you may be. God spoke to Abraham and says, I will make you. It's a process. I will bless you. It takes time. I will make you a great nation when you have no children. It's on me to do this. Fourthly, he's called you to go and follow him. Will you obey him? We bow our heads.